Have you ever had a prompting to do something, but you're not sure if it's your own thoughts or God speaking to you? Today, we're going to talk all about how to identify when the Spirit is speaking to you, what to look for, how it should feel, what kind of things the Spirit will be telling you to do, and how to have the courage to act on it. We are going to talk today about something that I heard in a recent youth church meeting for kind of our whole area that we live in that's not just our local congregation, but probably 10 or 12 congregations all combined, which is called a stake. So we had a leader in our church come out to host that, and then lots of the local leaders spoke too. But I got to specifically go to the session that was just for the youth. So anyone ages 11 to 18, were all those kids were invited to go and their leaders. So since I'm one of the youth leaders, I got to go, and it was on an early Sunday morning. And I just thought this was so cool how this leader, so his name is Elder David Wright, and he came and gave a really wonderful presentation at the beginning about, first of all, your worth. And he held up a $20 bill. I've seen this before. Have you seen this with a bill where he said, okay, what's this worth? And someone said $20. And then he crumpled it up and he said, okay, now is it is it worth any less? And they said no. And he described that as all of us. We're all going to face things where we'll make mistakes or have challenges in our life that will make us feel less worthy. But we are always worth that full $20 in a $20 bill. So that was cool. But what I loved even more was he took questions from the teenagers in this area and answered them. So you said this happened at seminary, right? Yeah. Well, they as part of that, they they kind of prompted us before he came and they said, you know, reached out to all the teachers in seminary and said, hey, poll, kind of ask your students to anonymously write down questions that they would love to have this visiting authority answer. So I gave out some papers and pencils and had the kids write down questions. And then I passed those questions along to people heading up the the meeting. And then they gave those, took kind of honed it down to the ones that were repeated the most and then passed those along to the uh, elder right. Yeah. So this was one of this, he answered this question right out of the gate. And I thought it was not only one of the best questions that you could ever ask, because I feel like anyone who's faith-based has asked themselves this question before, but also this was one of the very best answers I've ever heard. And it was in combination. So it was Elder David Wright, but also our stake president came in and gave his thoughts too. And it was just so awesome that I thought we've got to do a podcast on this. So the question that was asked was, how can I know the difference between my own thoughts and inspiration from Heavenly Father? And I don't know about you, but I have asked myself that many times. Like, is this just me? Are these thoughts in my own head? Or is this something that Heavenly Father's prompting me to do? Is this the Spirit, the Holy Spirit telling me to do something? So how about you, Neil? Have you questioned that before? Yeah, that one's hard because, I mean, every day I'm trying to pray for the Spirit and to know what to do or or what actions to take. And there's tons of ideas that come into my mind, but they're not all spiritual impressions. Right. And 
The answers he gave, I thought, were so incredible. So first, he started out with a scripture, DNC 8, verse 2. So that's some of our scripture, the Doctrine and Covenants. Even if you don't believe in our church, though, I think you'll like what this has to say. Behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. So he talked about how the Spirit won't just talk to you in your mind. And sometimes that's an easier way to differentiate. Is this just me? Are these just my thoughts? Or is it in your heart also? And he talked about how it's always going to be a feeling. And those feelings are going to come upon you. And you're going to know that it's the Holy Ghost or God speaking to you and not just something that you're thinking up in your mind. So I thought that was a great differentiation. And that scripture goes on to say, now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. Behold, this is the spirit by which Moses brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground, which I also thought was really interesting. We haven't gotten to Moses yet in our Old Testament study, but that is such an incredible story of Moses having this huge problem and being like, what am I going to do? I've, I led all these people away and now we're getting chased and we're looking at the Red Sea. Now what? And so God told him, not only in his mind, but in his heart, you can do this. You're going to part the Red Sea. And I imagine how much faith and courage that had to have taken, both faith and courage. But I would imagine because it came into his heart and not just his mind, that's what gave him the courage to say, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I think a lot of times spiritual things are things of the heart, I find in general. I think there's a lot of logistical concepts or ideas, things that make sense. But I, I do find for me spiritually, like if I'm feeling the spirit or connected with God, it's, it's a matter of the heart. It's like you feel that connection maybe more so than think that connection, if that makes sense. And even in impressions and being able to discern, I mean, those are the ones a lot of times for me, when it has to do with another person, there's like just an overwhelming, overwhelming love that you have for that person. And it's completely motivated very purely. And then it's, I don't know, that's what motivates an, an action and it's complete confidence. Like whenever I feel that I'm like 100% confident that I'm like, I know this is right. And I feel this and this is this is right. You can feel it. Yeah. Elder Wright actually said that exact thing. He said, the feelings you want to look out for are peace, joy, or confidence. And I agree. I think when you think back on the times where you did something that came into your mind, but also your heart, and you were like, I know God's telling me to do this, and then you do it. When you look back on those times, it's like a feeling. It's a really strong feeling, not just a thought where it's like, oh, I feel feel like God wants me to just go talk to this person, or I feel like God really wants us to make this big life decision. So in the big things and in the small things, I feel like he prompts us not just with thoughts, but with feelings too. And for whatever reason, this memory just came into my mind too, where we were trying to figure out what in the heck to do with our kids during COVID with schooling. And we kept trying different things that made sense in our minds. Like, okay, we can split up this distance learning thing. You take one kid, I'll take one kid. We'll sit down. This should be easy enough. And it just was not working. It was like trying to drive a car into a brick wall, I felt like. You know, I was like, I am not getting any work done. You felt the same. And so we started praying. We started praying really hard, like, Heavenly Father, what do we do? 
Should we take our kids out of this school? Should we put them back in the school they were in before COVID? There were just so many different options. And when we were led to the right one, and it actually was one that Neil was kind of resisting, it was like we felt it immediately. Like you and I both felt it. And when we walked through the campus, I kept trying to not cry because I just kept feeling the spirit saying, your kids have to go to school here. But Neil was a little resistant about them going to this specific school. And so I started kind of telling Heavenly Father back, okay, if you want this to happen, you got to tell him too, because I don't want to be the one to convince him. (laughs) And we walked out of the school and Neil looked at me and said, our kids have to go to school here. Do you remember that feeling? It was such a strong feeling, not just a thought. It was not a intellectually concluded decision. It it was a very, basically a feeling ruled situation. It wasn't really... there were logistical things that made sense, but that was maybe like 10% of it. 90% yeah. was just the strong feeling of, of love and peace and joy. And I, I think, I always think of Galatians 5 in the Bible oh, talking about the- Are you reading my notes? Of the spirit. No, I just, that just comes to my mind. I'm sure you're going <laughs> to go to next. that. But yeah. but yeah, like that's one we always use as a missionary, I always- use that example or that scripture to talk about like what the feelings of the spirit or the fruits of the spirit are. That's amazing because that's literally the next thing that I wrote down from this state conference talk. So he, he referenced Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. So he said, these are the types of feelings that you can identify as the spirit speaking to you and not just thoughts that are coming into your mind, which I thought was so cool. And so sometimes, yeah, it's going to feel like joy, like happiness. And then sometimes it's going to feel like confidence, like, yes, this is the right thing. Sometimes maybe it's going to be more long suffering or gentleness, like be kind to this person, have patience with them. It's going to be okay. I think there are a lot of different forms of feelings that will come into your heart, but it's easy to identify which are coming through the spirit if you think in those terms. And so here's another thing too that I thought was so cool that our stake president, so this visiting authority, general authority invited also our stake president, who's kind of like the pastor or leader over our entire stake area, like I said, so probably like 10-ish congregations all together. He leads that whole group. So everyone knows who he is and and really he's very respected and he's definitely a man of God. And so he got up and shared this from, again, DNC, which is Doctrine and Covenants, another scripture of ours. DNC 8-2 says, it will dwell in your heart. And so he said, when you receive inspiration from the Holy Ghost, it's got staying power and it remains in your soul. So he said it he referenced that scripture where DNC 8:2 says it will dwell in your heart and to think about was this something that was kind of fleeting it came in and out pretty pretty quickly like oh that sounds fun or an idea that comes into your mind maybe I should do this but then it kind of goes away really quickly and you kind of can't remember exactly what it was or whatever I loved how our stake president said when you're moved upon by the Spirit, it has staying power. It will remain in your soul. That totally makes sense to me because I think of a lot of time the a lot of times the repetition component. Like if it's something that's a powerful impression, and you see these 
examples in the in the scriptures where something's repeated three times. Yes. There's a lot of that. Like God's voice speaking to the people on the Americas when Jesus Christ or when Jesus Christ visits the Americas, there's that example in the from the Book of Mormon. And then you've got different examples in just in the scriptures in general. It's a lot of times it's threes. Getting that kind of getting an impression a lot of times for me, like I'll kind of shrug it off once and it's easy to do. Even if, I don't know, someone calling your name, you're like, hey, did someone just say my name? And then you hear it again. You're like, I think that was it. And then usually by the third time you're like, okay, they totally did. And then you'll start looking around and you see somebody across the, the way calling your name. So it's kind of the same thing. I think spiritually, a lot of times it takes a few times to get our attention. At least it does for me. Sometimes even more. I'm, I'm not as as I'm a little, I don't know, need to work on my spiritual sensitivity and listening a little better. You need to just give yourself more credit because you are good at that. But I definitely have experienced that a lot. The threes thing, like I feel like a lot of times God speaks to me in threes where I will hear something, see something, read something like three times in a row within 24 hours. That happened to me actually right after I had the miscarriage. I don't know why this is, I mean, obviously I know why it's making me emotional, but, um, so I miscarried our, the, the baby that we were pregnant with over the holidays. So I, we found out like beginning of November that we were pregnant and then, um, it was a total roller coaster. You can listen to old, older episodes about it where it was like the baby was, there was no chance it was going to live. We were told to, you know, end the pregnancy. And then there was a heartbeat. And then we saw the heartbeat several times and we thought everything was going to be okay. And then right around Christmas time, I wasn't sure. And then it was, it wasn't looking good. So for about a week before Christmas, I was told you probably are going to miscarry this baby. And it was, it happened just a few days before Christmas. I went to well, so this is actually what happened. You can go back to this episode. It was so good. But David Butler tells me all of his thoughts and feelings around Mary saying, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, and just basically being so willing to to do whatever God needed her to do. And I remember trying to not get emotional when he was telling me this and just feeling kind of this kinship with like, with Mary understanding that she was going to have to do something so difficult. And I don't want to compare myself to Mary because I'm not, because I did not go through the horrible, all of the things that she probably had to go through with being engaged, but not married yet. And the humiliation possibly there and all of the things that she faced with carrying a baby and then delivering a baby in the most humble circumstances. And then having to raise a child who was perfect all the time. And it's all, you already feel inadequate as a mother, but I can't even imagine raising a literally perfect child and the inadequacy she must have felt. But all of these things that she had to face and that she was like, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord. Like I will, I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to do whatever you need me to do. So I heard that from David Butler. And then there was a talk at church a day or so later where someone gave a talk about that same thing. And then there was a relief society, like a, the women's group in our church. I went to that and the, there were two talks that night that were given by 
women that I go to church with and they talked all about Mary just being willing to do whatever and to carry this child. And, and when I went to that Relief Society thing, it was like a day and a half, not even two full days after I had miscarried this baby. And so I just felt like it was Heavenly Father's little tender mercy, his little message to me that this is what I needed you to do. I needed you to carry this baby for a few weeks who had a heartbeat, who was a, a living little soul that came to earth for just a second. And, and that's what I needed you to be willing to do. So for me, that was a really tender experience of feeling seen, feeling like Heavenly Father saw me in that trial and that, that it wasn't just something that I was suffering through alone during Christmas time and that it wasn't silly for me to have the feelings that I felt of being sad and being heartbroken and feeling disappointment and grief over lose, losing this baby, but that he was willing to send me like three different little messengers, basically like three different messages of this is what Mary did. You can look to her. You can feel some solace and some comfort in knowing that she went through something way harder than I had to go through, but something similar enough that I felt comfort in that. And that was really meaningful for me. That was really cool. Another thing that happened right around the holidays was when we had our friend Spence come over and he, it was funny because I actually, Spence and his wife Katie and their kids came over over the holidays. They were in town for the Rose Bowl and I was trying to get them. They said, hey, we're in town and I was trying to get them to come over and I was trying to kind of make it work out maybe earlier in the week where they could stop by for a little bit, but it just didn't, our, our schedules just didn't align until New Year's Eve. And so they ended up coming over on New Year's Eve and I was a little bit worried, like, oh, this is going to be weird. Like New Year's Eve was when finally, like my sister was getting into town and our whole family would be together, uh, minus one brother who couldn't make it. But it just, I really felt like, no, he's he's supposed to come over now. So like have them come over. So they came over. And then I was sitting there talking to Spence and the spirit told me, ask Spence if he'll talk to this one person in your family. And I thought, oh, like Spence is, so what he does for a living, and you can go back to one of our old episodes and we should have him on again soon, but he basically has this business model. He's done it for lots of businesses. He's done it for our business. And he has this personal gift too of just being able to see people's gifts and being able to help them identify like a business to identify what is our main goal. And then our, and then people as individuals, like what is your gift in life? And so I sat down with him and we were talking and the spirit prompted me to ask him to talk to one of my family members. And I thought, oh, like, I just, I don't want to bother him. Like he's here to just chill. It's New Year's Eve. But then the spirit told me literally three times to ask him. And he was like, oh yeah, sure, totally. And then this person in my family too was totally up for it. So they ended up talking and having this incredible conversation that both of them after said, Spence and then the family member too, they they both said, wow, that was totally meant to happen. And Spence said, I ended up kind of changing my curriculum for this this program that I'm now running based upon just that one interaction with this person in your family. And so it it was mutually beneficial for these two people to meet and to have a conversation. But I did hesitate. I was like, oh, I don't want to ask Spence to have this conversation like on New Year's Eve when he's just supposed to be like over here to party and, 
hang out and have appetizers and chill with his kids and his family. But the spirit told me literally three times. And then I was so relieved after to have both people, both the family member and Spence tell me that was totally meant to happen. And it was so beneficial for me. And so it's just cool how the spirit will tell you to do things that maybe don't make sense in your mind. And sometimes it takes a little bit of courage to think, maybe this is going to put somebody out, or maybe this is going to sound weird, or maybe this is going to seem kind of awkward. But if the Spirit tells you, and especially if the Spirit tells you three times, usually it's going to make sense. Usually it's afterward going to be like, oh, okay, I'm so glad I listened to that. There was totally a meaning and a purpose behind that, and it helped both people. Absolutely. Uh, that totally makes sense. I'd like for some reason it was popping into my mind when we had Tim Ballard on the podcast oh, yeah. a while back and he was talking about a mission that they did down to Haiti and they were trying to to kind of get these kids that have been human, you know, human trafficking victims basically out of you know a bad situation. So he goes in with a team and he's talking about the story of one of the members of of their their team. They're kind of they've got this jump team that goes in and he's all of a sudden just starts taping a flashlight onto this guy's helmet or a, or a webcam onto this guy's a camera. Oh yeah. This is a camera a onto the guy's helmet. Yeah. Like, like a GoPro onto this guy's hand, helmet. He just starts taping it. And, he, and Tim asked him, he's like, what are you doing? Dude? Like, why are you, you know, he's like, he's ready to go. He looks cool. Like, why are you putting on a camera on this guy's helmet? He's like, I have no idea. He's like, I don't know why I'm just, and he just does it. And they're like, okay, whatever. We're about to go raid this, this place. And so it ends up the guy with this GoPro on on his helmet is the one guy that finds the place where these kids are being kept and exploited. And because of the footage that was caught on this particular helmet cam, they were able to prosecute all of these people that were involved. And it was a key, gave them a key piece of evidence that they needed. But it was so cool because I think he was talking about the guy that did it. And he's like, he's just a super spiritual person that's really in touch with, with, with the spirit and with promptings from God. And he just was like, I have no idea why, but I'm just taping this thing onto this, this, this GoPro onto this guy's helmet. I thought about that. I'm like, that's really cool because so much of the time, there are a lot of times where I hear stories from other people or from anybody where it's like, I had no idea why this was such an inconvenience in my life at the time. There was no reason why I should have gone to this place or talked to this person or done this thing, but I just followed a prompting and then this amazing experience happened. Totally. And so I think a lot of times it's things that, that and that's kind of maybe a, a way that I know that it's a prompting is that if it's nothing that I would have thought of, mm-hmm. like um, an idea, some thing, some enlightenment pops into my mind that I definitely was like, that was not for me. I have no idea why. And maybe it doesn't even make sense, but okay, I'm going to follow it. I keep getting it. It's strong. Let me just, let me just do it. Yeah. back all the time of our surfer friend from ARP who one time, literally he said this once in ARP, he said, if I think there's even a small chance 
that the Spirit's telling me to do something and it's a good thing, I just do it. And I think about that all the time. He shared that one time in one meeting in one place where he talked about like out, being out surfing and seeing some kid and the Spirit told him to go talk to this kid. And he was kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, I don't know him. But he went up and talked like because he felt the Spirit prompting him. He went and had this conversation with this kid who ended up struggling. Like he was struggling with something that this person from ARP felt like he had some specific advice he could give him. And it was totally one of those like act of God kind of things where it was like, there's no way I would have just randomly felt to go speak to this person, like some some surfer, like I'm, I've got my surfboard, I'm ready to go out in the water. I see someone who's just come out. Most of the time you don't just like walk up and start chatting it up for no good reason. But he talked about how that was totally meant to be because the kid that he talked to was like dealing with the same thing that this person that goes to ARP deals with. And, and so I think of that example all the time. And I'm like, if I think there's even a chance that the spirit is telling me to do something and it's a good thing, I'm just going to try to go with it. Like I'm going to try to follow it as much as I possibly can, even if it's maybe just a good thought. And so I think some of these other things where it's like identifying is it a feeling? Does it have staying power? Those are really good things. You know, am I getting the same prompting or thought more than once? Those are probably coming from God. But also, this was something that Elder Wright said. Is it coming from God? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? If it's a good thing, it's probably coming from God. Because there's that scripture that says that, like, the Spirit inviteth and enticeth us to do good. And so, and we believe, too, as Christians, that all good things come from God, that they're not man-made, that literally everything from a rock to a tree to a newborn baby, it all comes from God, like all good things in our life. So if the Spirit is telling you to do something and it's a good thing, then even if it seems a little awkward, like talking to a stranger, you probably should do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are sometimes or a lot of times some of the coolest stories that I love to hear because yeah. it, it it's something that's it, is so outside of what the person was thinking or if I'm the one telling the story that I was thinking that you know like I know that was the spirit speaking because I never would have thought of that. Well, you've had some cool experiences with ARP too, right? With the spirit kind yeah. of talking to you. Yeah, no, with ARP it's there one of the things that is a big part of the, my program or the program in general is to reaching out to other addicts or people who are in recovery that go to your meeting and they, you just make a contact each day, you call someone and just good, bad, or indifferent. Like, Hey man, this is where I'm at today. I'm feeling good. Or, Hey, I'm struggling today. And there are a lot of times where I'm like, I just need to make a call and I'm trying to think of somebody. I'm like, it'd really be anybody in the program. Who should I call? And I'll get specific promptings like, all right, I'll just call this person. Even if they don't answer, I'll leave a message. Sometimes I'll, you know, there've been moments where they've contacted me later and been like, hey man, I was on my way to do something that I was going to get relapsed or get back into my addiction. And I saw your number come up on my phone and it was a sign to me that, you know, I wasn't going the direction I needed to. And I made a correction because of that. Or I literally speak to somebody on the phone and then it's like, yeah, I'm in a tight spot. I'm struggling right now. 
even if it's not a relapse, it's like, I'm just having a bad day and I'm really in a negative spot. And then having a conversation helps get them out of that. And it helps me because I'm getting out of maybe a challenge that I'm in. And so God kind of works with both, both people in those instances, but it all comes through a prompting. But I just keep speaking of promptings. I've just had this, this kind of instance pop into my mind was when we moved down here to California. And as part of that, there was a job that I needed to get to get us down here. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I remember getting off of a phone call with my buddy who's the hiring manager, uh, at this company. And basically they're like, Hey, this is not really going to be a great fit. Like you're not currently in that territory. You don't currently know any of the customers or any of the area at all. That was the biggest thing was like, we don't want to throw some new guy in there with zero connections. It makes sense. Like you don't even know where the hospitals are. Right. Like you don't even know where the customers even, it's kind of like saying like, Oh, I've never been to well, I'd, I'd been to San Diego before, but I didn't know where all the... Like, let's hire a new guide for Everest. Like, this guy's never been up the pretty mountain. Pretty much. But... It's like, if you've ever seen Man vs. Wild, where they just drop, you know, Bear grills into this random <laughs> forest, and they're like, hey, figure it out. That's exactly what that what this job was going to be, and everyone kind of knew it. But I got off the phone, and I, and I managed to, like just say, Hey, just get me an interview. Like just, that's all I ask. And so they, they made that happen. And I remember getting off the phone, I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, how in the world, I feel like I really, like I'm supposed to get this job. How in the world am I going to convince these guys, um, that I'm there, I'm the one to get this job. And I had the, the most interesting prompting that was so specific. It's to this date, like one of the most specific promptings I've ever received. And it was immediate and it fell into place like just so perfectly. But I'd interviewed for another job a few months before that was like a really, really, it was one of those jobs that like I was wanting forever, that it was such a great opportunity. It ended up falling through and I knew the person that got it. I had this prompting that basically was like, call this this person mm-hmm. and ask them how they got that job the one that you applied for and you didn't get and i was like okay totally randomly and i don't know this person i didn't know this person very well at all and so i'm like okay i just called him and he happened to pick up the phone and um and it's kind of like it's an afternoon it's in the work day i'm like he's probably just super busy right now with this new job he's at and uh he picks up and i'm like hey man you got a minute and he's like yeah it just so happens that at that particular moment, he had a minute and and was willing to talk to me. I don't even really know him that well. I'm like, hey, just a question for you. How did you prepare for the final interview with this company? He laid everything out. He spent like a good 20 minutes with me. He's like, he told me exactly what he did. He's like, I put together this book, put together all the information, all the contacts of each customer, all the main, the key players, he told me everything that he did to to build this presentation to then go into this final interview and and present it to the hiring directors. And after he told me what he did and how to do it, I'm like, yeah, no wonder he got the job. <laughs> like that was, I mean, it was incredible what he described. But then I put it together and that's what I did in in this job interview that I had. I had like one shot in front of all of the heads of this company 
and and I got the job. But that was a key piece of the puzzle that I needed to know. But there's no way that I would have come up with that on my own. There's no way that I would have thought to to put together what what this you know this person told me to put together. And it was such a specific prompting, and it lined up so perfectly. Like, call this person right now. I called mm-hmm. them. They were available. And not, I don't know, it was kind of uncharacteristic of somebody that random to be like, here you go. Yep. You know, like I didn't know them that well. So it was a really, really crazy. And there's a few of those in that process of moving down here. But that one was one that really stands out to me. Of oh, like he was so specific. He was kind of a competitor too. He could yeah. still have been easily considered. Yeah, like, say you didn't get that job and go to California, you guys are still kind of in the same pool. Yeah, he was of, nice, but he was worked for a competitive company. But, no, but what I'm saying is, he didn't need to give you that edge or tell you what he did because, in my eyes, like I. I could see someone like that thinking, I'm not going to give you my secrets, dude, because if you don't get this job and then you're up for something that I want later on or whatever, we're still, we're still competitors in the same industry, basically you two. What I think is so amazing about that whole story too, is that started with us having a prompting in the temple about needing to move to Southern California, which was so random, but it felt right, but it felt good. It felt like the right thing to do. And then all of these things, it's like when something's right too, when God tells you to do something and it's right, he starts making things just fall into place. Like it was like, you got that job. And most of the time in your current, or sorry, in your former industry too, it would be like a three to six month process of interviewing. Right. And this was like, you interviewed on a Friday and we found out on a Monday, okay, you have two weeks to move down here. But our house sold really quickly. We came down and found the perfect rental home, which also is a whole other story story of how that was perfect. That just worked out just as God wanted it to. And then the thing that I think is probably the most important thing to know about this story is it didn't have an immediate fairy tale happy ending. You lost your job six yeah. months after we moved down here and we were in such a bind, like, holy cow, what are we going to do? And so we started, that was when I started working full time on my blog. And then you and I worked side by side for two or three years and figured out how to work together. I think though, one of the most important things to know is if we had not moved from Utah, And even if you had lost your job that you ended up leaving to come to California, let's say you eventually lost that job or you, whatever, you could have gotten a new job so easily in Utah. You could have bounced around from company to company because you had connections everywhere. You knew people, people liked you. In California, you didn't find a job right away because you didn't have connections here. And I think it was, and at the time it was just extremely frustrating for me and especially for you. But looking back, I think that if you, and and we told this whole story a couple of episodes ago, but where you basically went to God and said, whatever needs to happen, let it happen. And that's when you lost your job and you were humbled to the core. And then you really got into recovery in in the way where you were just, I'll do anything. And that's when you finally, that's when it finally clicked, right? So I think if you had just continued to climb the ladder in your career of success and everything had gone great, I don't know that, 
I don't know that A, you would have ever been unemployed as long as you were when that job loss happened, because in Utah, you would have been able to pick up a job so quickly with all the connections you had. So it had to be removing us from Utah, first of all. And second of all, I think that if you had just continued to have like increased success, that I don't know if you would have been able to have that total change of heart and have your whole life, you know, look so differently because you were able to gain recovery and because you did that. Now you're able to help so many people and we're able to have this podcast and have this platform and talk to people about it. Because I think too, if we had stayed in Utah and you were the main provider for the rest of our lives, probably I wouldn't have worked full time. And this podcast wouldn't have happened the way it ha- maybe, but I just think all of those things were supposed to happen specifically so that you could gain recovery, you could get sober, we could feel the prompting to share our whole story of addiction recovery, we could do this podcast together, we could help a lot of people. Like a lot of those things would have been much harder for God to orchestrate in our comfort zone where you knew a lot of people, where you had all these connections. So it was like at the time when we moved down here and you lost your job, it was like, wait, why did, why were we prompted to do all these things? And then it all, like the bottom just fell out six months after we moved here. It very much felt like, wait, seriously? Like we did what you asked us to do, God, why did this happen? But yet now looking, looking back, it's like, oh, now I can see, I think you can see also this was all meant to be. It just took a really long time for it to all come together and for us to be able to see all the blessings that God had in store for us if we were to just stay on the course and have faith and let Him put all the pieces together. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I I think we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right Right. now. And and I think I had a very different plan in mind, and I think we both did. Mm Mm-hmm. But looking at, I don't know, I keep thinking of the recovery phrase that somebody told me is if you got everything that you wanted in life, you would shortchange yourself for what God has in store for you. Yes. And there's a lot of cool scriptures that talk about that. Um, Isaiah, I think there's scriptures talking about my ways are Proverbs. I, I have to look at the, but basically my ways are higher than, than my your ways. My ways are not your ways. Yeah. My ways are not your ways. All things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Um, it's from the Book of Mormon. Like, I think there's a lot of scriptures that talk about that to where it's, and that's where that trust in God has to come in. But I think in order to have that trust, I think there's always, and I, and I look at a lot of these biblical stories or scriptural example examples, there's always some type of a spiritual impression, experience, or event that gives people, you know, prophets or whoever the story is about, the, the strength to face crazy odds Mm -hmm. or massively challenging situations. The way they're able to do it is because somewhere along the line, they had a spiritual experience or an impression that was so strong that they knew and they know like what they're doing is, is right and that they're supposed to do it, that it's in line with God's will. And therefore there's a way to make it happen. There's a trust there. And, and it gives kind of them access to power greater than their own because of it. And so I think that's why these impressions are so important and why in recovery, you, you literally try and live by these every day. And, and in general, we're, we're counseled to live by the spirit each and every day. Yes, that's and key. That's the, and that's 
for me, like 98% of the battle is trying to figure out like, okay, let me, can I stay in a place that is going to keep me humble enough and connected enough to be able to one, receive the impression to listen to it and, and discern it. And then three, follow it. Act on it. Yeah. Act on it. And so, so much of everything we do in the gospel and in church or temple, you know, our temple, whatever, is to put us in a position to where we can receive information from God and have power to act on it. Yeah. So the scripture you were looking for is Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. And, but I want to go back to what you said about living in a way that you can receive the Spirit. I wrote an article for our church's magazine, The Ensign, now called The Liahona, but at the time The Ensign, a couple years ago, entitled Why I Decided to Marry a, a Recovering Pornography Addict. And really like my take home, my if you boiled it down to one thing that I've told people in that article or I, that I've told other women who have come to me saying like, I'm in a very similar situation that you were in where I feel like this man's a good man and, and, but he has struggled with pornography addiction in the past or whatever. What do I do? And I always tell them your main job is to live by the spirit is to do everything you can to get the spirit in your life. So that means being prayerful, reading the scriptures, making sure that you are in places to receive revelation and feel the Spirit, and making sure you're not in places that won't allow you to feel the Spirit. And I'm not saying go be perfect, but I'm just saying the more you put your heart in the right place to try to listen to God and to be able to hear Him and to be in places where you can hear Him, the more He's going to be able to communicate with you. So if you're constantly rushing or you never take time to stop and try to listen to God or you're not even talking to him because you're not praying ever. I'm not saying God won't talk to you, but I think that it's a lot easier for him to get through to us when we give him those open channels of communication, when we are getting on our knees, when we are reading the scriptures, because a lot of times the scriptures give me the answers I'm seeking, whether that's I read something and I can pretty directly relate it to whatever I'm seeking an answer for, or I read the scriptures, I feel the spirit, and immediately after I'm prompted to do or think or say something that solves the problem or gives me an answer that I'm looking for. So I think that's really, really important, like you said, to be living in a way where you can constantly have the spirit be your guide. And the last thing that I thought was so cool that Elder Wright said that I can just echo is he just talked about how the spirit works like a muscle. It's like the more you develop it, the more you strengthen it, the more it's going to work for you. So I think the more you are willing to act on promptings that you get from God, the more God is willing to continue to give them to you and give them to you in greater abundance because he knows he can trust you with it. He knows that if he tells you to do something, go talk to a stranger or put your kids in a different school or change this thing in your life or do less of this or more of this or whatever it is, if he knows you're going to answer that call, then he's going to continue to give you that revelation because he knows he can trust you, which is so cool. And I do think that there's a two-way trust with you and God where he 
sees the potential in you, but it, ultimately we all have agency. So it's also up to us to use that agency when he gives us promptings. And I I am not perfect at that, but I, I have tried really hard, especially with, interestingly, with social media and Instagram and sharing the gospel. I've tried to really be open to sharing whenever Heavenly Father wants me to, whatever he wants me to share. And a lot of times I will sit down to write an Instagram post. This happened just a couple of days ago on Sunday. Sunday morning, I happened to see this post where someone said, what are your top 10 things that are timeless pieces that you want to give to your girls? Um, and so she was talking about like diamond earrings or a Chanel bag or a Burberry coat. Like there was this whole list of things that are timeless that you could pass down to your daughter and she would love it in 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 years. And I was thinking about it and it was fun to think about. I I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking, oh, this is a valuable piece that could be, you know, passed down from generation to generation. I think that's great. I love collecting things like handbags, but it did get me to think, I wonder what some of the most important gifts are that I want to give my girls that are treasures in heaven that the Bible talks about and not something that moth or rust can corrupt is what the Bible says. And so I thought about, you know, when we die, we can't take our Chanel bags with us or our diamond earrings or pearls or anything like that. We can only take who we built our character to be. And so I felt this prompting to write a post about that. And then I thought, okay, I'm ge- I'm going to get to it. You know, there was a lot going on on Sundays. It's like getting the kids to church and then coming home and immediately feeding them lunch. And then I always have to start thinking about dinner. So The whole day went on, and then I finally had a break in my day, and that prompting came to me again, and I thought, okay, I'm going to just pull out a picture of me with my girls and write this down. And oftentimes, when I'm willing to follow the Spirit and write about something, specifically something that shares my faith in God or good things about light or you know, believing in a higher power or in heaven or anything like that, I feel like God just puts the words into my hands or into my mouth, and they come out almost as if they're not my own. And that might sound weird or crazy, but I really feel like the Spirit comes in and is the scribe. The Spirit just tells me what to say, and it's incredible. I watch it happen, and it's like, it's almost like, it's it's like this scripture, Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And, And so that's what I feel like a lot of times when I let the Spirit guide me, I ask for revelation. Sometimes it's more specific. Sometimes it's less specific. But especially when I feel like God puts into my heart something that He wants me to share specifically, a lot of times I feel like it just comes pouring out through the Spirit, the exact words that I'm supposed to share in the way I'm supposed to share them. And then I can see the fruits of those labors. I see that those shares speak to people in a way that I was just the instrument. I was just the tool that I was willing to just say, okay, here, God, use me, and I'll I'll do whatever you need me to do. And then it does touch the people that he needs to be touched through me. And that's such a cool thing to experience. So I think the more you show God that you're willing to follow those promptings, whether they're big things or small things in your life, the more he's able to use you as a tool for all the good things that he wants to accomplish. Totally that. I was just thinking of while you're talking so much of it, there's a lot of different components that I think are really cool 
uh, that we talked about. I, but you, you're talking about um, the counsel that you'd give to, you know, a wife who's in a situation where she's trying to make a decision on somebody who maybe had an addiction. Um, I, I keep thinking about, and I think it's talked a lot about, is the president of our church, President Nelson, the last talk he gave in conference, which would have been in October, um, it was the very last talk of the entire conference. But what he says, and I think the words that he use, uses here are pretty, he pleads with us, basically. He says, my brothers and sisters, I plead with you to make time for the Lord. Make your own spiritual foundation firm and able to stand the test of time by doing those things that allow the Holy Ghost to be with you always. So I think of that, and I don't know, so much of what I'm trying to do better in my life right now is have make that time. It's it's just getting harder and harder the more busy and more kids and more things you have going on. But I really think that making that time, it gives us an opportunity to listen to God's voice, hear his spirit, and, and receive instruction, impressions, or whatever we need, um, strength to be able to do what we're supposed to do and what he would have us do. And, and the greatest amount of good that we possibly can do will happen when we're listening to and following his voice. So just a thought I had. Yeah. It's kind of my closing thoughts, basically. Well said. <laughs> well said. And I think, too, when we do follow the Spirit, it's always going to be right. We're not perfect, but the Spirit is. God is. God just knows always what's best for us, what we need in our lives, and what's going to make us happiest. So ask for those promptings, follow them, and then just sit back and see how God's greatness can unfold when we trust Him and when we're willing to listen to Him. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.